Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with Mental Health America of Wisconsin. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing stories of lived experiences, we expose depression for the lying bully it is. Hello, Bridget. Hi, Terry. We began this season with a couple episodes on self-care techniques that included changing the way we talk to ourselves, which I think is a big one, and some self-compassion and mindfulness practices. The feedback and the number of plays that we received made it very clear that we're all looking for ways to manage ourselves, our moods, and our mental health as the nonstop challenges of 2020 continue to drag on and pile up. So today we continue that conversation and our pursuit of additional tools for our mental health toolkits to help us reduce stress and our reactions to it and increase our ability to focus and function when we're feeling downright depleted during this time, when so many of our coping mechanisms are limited or unavailable under pandemic restrictions. Rather than reach out to a therapist or other more typical mental health professional, our guest today is Ambrose, who is a coach. He joined Terry for a casual, wide-ranging discussion about what we can do to care for ourselves on all levels as the colder winter months approach for many. Here now is Ambrose giving his voice to depression. I started off, you know, post-college just coaching football, which moved into coaching uh, the body and movement, personal training and groups which then turned into nutrition coaching. So work with the whole person, which includes the body, the mind, and then also how we connect with other people. So at the base, I'm a, I'm a coach, and I do it basically by moving better, breathing better, and eating better. And since those are three areas we do have some control over, we talked about them and their impact on our mental health. Exactly. When I first started, I didn't really understand or you know put too much salt in how much movement matters for people's mental mental health and mental well-being. But in today's context where people who are used to going to the gym or at least going used to going for walks and going to the park aren't able to do that, it's really, really clear how movement uh, helps people feel better, right? You start moving, you release endorphins, you get out some tension. So each part, movement has its own connection with mental health. As for nutrition, let's face it, we all know what the healthiest food choices are for us, and we know whether or not we're making them. So Ambrose's take on the matter was a welcome and reassuring surprise. You know, one thing I work with people a lot on is not judging themselves for the food that they eat. So you end up wanting to have a snack, you have the snack, and the thoughts that we have and the judgment we have about the food that we eat can sometimes be more damaging than food itself and on the importance and reduction of social connection. Without having that connection, that face-to-face connection, that um, physical touch, and being reduced to only having technology, 
is really reaping havoc on people's mental health and wellness right now. Um, we're seeing anxiety spike, depression spike. And that reaction, Ambrose says, is not solely social in nature. It's also biological. So I think the quote is, no man or human is an island to themselves. That's really, really true. But from a biological level, what it comes down to is we have certain hormones that are only released when we do certain things. So, for example, if you're by yourself, you're able to give yourself two really, really important hormones, uh, endorphin, which we typically get from exercise, uh, and then you can also get dopamine. Dopamine is that quick hit that you can get from checking your Facebook or having a potato chip, right? But then there's other things that we need that we really only get in the, uh, in the community of other people. Serotonin, for example, is a hormone that you need to have other people around for that. That's where the connection comes in. And also um, oxytocin. That's what you get when you have physical touch with other people. So on a hormonal level, biological level, we just aren't meant to be by ourselves for a long period of time. Um, even to the point where I know people who are introverted who are having a hard time being introverted right now because, yeah, while you might like to be by yourself, this is, this is a little bit different, right? It's a little bit different. A lot different, especially when you add depression, anxiety, or other mental health challenges to the mix. It is just too much for many of us, exhausting on what we call a cellular level. Ambrose, do you live with depression? Do I live with depression? That's a great question. I've never asked that question. So in short, no. Um, But to go a little bit deeper, there's been moments or periods in my life where I have been depressed. And by depressed, I mean um, not clinically depressed, but, you know, low mood to very low mood. And the first time I can remember someone calling me, calling me in, really, thanks for, you know, calling me in and bringing it up was when uh, post-college, uh, in between finding a career, I was very judgmental about where I should have been, what I should have been doing. And my mom asked me, I don't know if she remembers it, but she asked me a question, are you depressed or something? And my reaction was no. Like, I didn't even think about it until years later. Looking back at that period of time, uh, I definitely was I definitely was depressed. Um, and going before that, probably... Uh, not probably for sure. When my parents got separated, I moved as a young teenager, 12, 13, 13. Um, that depression turned into or showed up as um, isolation and also anger. Um, so, you know, I want to normalize, you know, and I think that's one thing that as I continue doing this work to be able to call that out because I feel that my 19-year-old self, a 22-year-old self hearing the word depressed, I just... Uh, thought about it being a weak thing as opposed to it being a normal, a normal thing. The reason we asked Ambrose about his experience of depression before we start talking about breathing practices is because, based on our own experience with the illness, as well as those of the hundreds of people we've interviewed, when you're on the healthy side of the mental health line, our minds are a lot more open to and capable of self-care. When in depression steps, though, Such techniques can feel like being encouraged to take up a fly swatter in a battle with a monster. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad that you made a distinction. Um, So with that said, just like, for example, if I was going to be working out with someone for weight training, I don't want you to try to get strong the day of or the week of the race or the event. 
we have a plan that we put in place months, sometimes years in, in advance, so that in that moment when you need to be able to be your strongest, you've built the habit by practicing. So when it comes to meditation or mindfulness or breathing, I think it's very important that we do make that distinction between um, people that need more care, you know, mental health professionals, maybe sometimes you need medication, and also talk about, you know, being preventative and being um, ancillary with meditation, mindfulness, and breathing. Because unfortunately, being a, um, you know, first of all, being a man, being a black man, and also being a meditation teacher, I'm somewhat of a unicorn in the schools that I work in. And there's often times where someone will give me a student in the heightened moment of their anxiety or going through something. And I let the adult know this is not the time for that. Um, so in those times, what I typically do is create space by literally just sitting there and being in control of my own thoughts, my own emotions. And that's what I found is the best thing for people in moments that they're, they're in um, the depths of it. Uh, just being able to be there and then in the, the appropriate time to be able to offer advice, to be able to refer on. But yeah, you definitely don't want to should people and think this is a magic pill because uh, it's not. <laughs> it takes practice and it also takes um, individualization for what you're going through and what you need. Quick side note. If you didn't catch that, or if you're not familiar with the word being used in that way, Ambrose said, we definitely don't want to should people. Sometimes you hear, don't should all over yourself. Should is a judgment. Oh, I really should do this. Or you shouldn't do that. Should is often an inflexible trap. And one of those words worth thinking about when you hear it or are about to say it. Okay, back to caring for ourselves and our minds. Be aware of your thoughts. You know, we have up to 70,000 thoughts a day, and most of those thoughts are negative thoughts. Um, not only about other people, places, and things, but about ourselves. So if you're not able to talk to yourself kindly when you're not under stress and when you aren't doing bad, <laughs> what's going to happen when you are stressed and when you are going through it? You're probably going to have really negative thoughts. So I would say the best thing that you can do self-compassion, being okay with not judging yourself, um, and thinking about it as a process that has a practice. And whether the practice you choose is meditation, mindfulness, yoga, breathing, or something else, Ambrose says, expect it to take some time to learn. What people call mindfulness sometimes is not exactly hitting the point. Um, and meditation, people will say things like, well, I walk for meditation. I go, great, that's called cardiovascular exercise. You might do it meditatively, but meditation is actually the practice of doing nothing. And it's very hard for people who do a lot to do nothing. Do a lot or think a lot. Oh, exactly. Now, let's think about this now. So people who think a lot, we're, people say to me, I'm doing it wrong or it doesn't work for me. I go, well, what are you doing wrong and what's not working? And they'll immediately say, I keep having thoughts. I can't push my thoughts away. Well, you know, if you're going to look online, you know, for a YouTube video or listen to an Instagram person, which could be phenomenal resources. So I want to be clear about that. But having a dedicated coach is completely different, right? Having someone that mental health advocate that uses these practices themselves, completely different. So the main um, misperception is that conception is that people think that meditation should clear your thoughts. 
the fact that you're having thoughts, I reassure people that that's phenomenal. We want you having thoughts. The issue isn't you having thoughts. The issue is that you are too attached to your thoughts. So that's where the practice of meditation comes in, is not being attached to what is happening, is being okay with what is. So the best way that I found to do that is to get people into their body. They used to do that through movement, right? Physical exercise. But now I can do that through the power of breath, of breathing, because breathing is a movement. The breathing practice Ambrose uses and teaches is called SKY, S-K-Y. So SKY stands for Sudarshan Kriya Yoga. Sudarshan Kriya Yoga. And what that means in Sanskrit is clear, clear vision, clear vision. But Ambrose makes clear, whatever practice we learn that works for us is the right one. And working with breath means it's always available when we need it. Any conscious breath, anytime you take a breath on purpose, that is a meditation. So what I would suggest that you do is to figure out the time of day. Typically in the morning works best or before bed works well again. So figuring out a time of the day where you're able to say, this is my time for practice. My practice will be one conscious breath or one minute or six breaths or three minutes. And then from there, just like you build a muscle, you just do a little bit more, a little bit more, and a little bit more. You're going to figure out for yourself what the sweet spot is. In closing, Ambrose offers a short, easy-to-learn-and-do exercise called straw breath, named that because the exhale is done like you're breathing through a straw. It only takes about two minutes. We don't have control of our digestion. We don't have control of our blood, right? But we can control our breath. We can make our breath slow down or go faster, go deeper or shallower if we so choose to. So straw breath is a great technique for moments that you are feeling yourself get revved up. And the best way to calm yourself down with the breath is making your exhale longer than your inhale. Make your exhale longer than your inhale. We already know this. When people get a little bit excited or anxiety, people naturally say, hey, chill out, take a breath. Because <laughs> we know that this works. So I'll, I'll guide you through it. So if we can sit up straight in our chairs, put our feet flat on the floor, create your own home, it's really nice to be able to close your eyes so you're not being distracted or taking in other information. And if you're driving your car, please keep your eyes open. <laughs> so, so, so do what's comfortable. Eyes closed or eyes low. All I want you to do is become aware of your natural rhythm of your breathing. The breath is a great reminder that things are just happening. You don't have to try anything. Things just happen. And the breath is a great reminder of that. But now, on purpose, what you're going to do is breathe in through your nose, take a deep breath in, feel your belly, and then make a small hole with your lips like you're going to breathe in or breathe out through a straw. And breathe out through that small hole. Very long exhale. Now repeat that on your own for two more rounds. Breathing in through the nose. And now through the lips when you're ready. We do it one more time. 
Before you open your eyes, relax the breath. Eyes are still closed. Checking in with yourself. How do I feel in my body? How are my thoughts? What emotions are coming up? And in your own time, begin to slowly open your eyes. So how was that for you, Bridget? Uh, it slowed me down. You know, that was a, it's a nice, portable, affordable, doable, easy thing to do. I mean, gee. Right? And he, at the end, when we did this, when I did the interview, Amber said, so how was that for you, Terry? And I said, it was good and it works and I never do it. I've heard it before. I've learned it before and I don't do it. So he reminded me not to judge myself for that and to just... Uh, start doing it if it's helpful. And, um, and I have been, and I, he suggested doing it at night or in the morning. Um, I just had a Zoom conference call um, and I did it before I took that call. And I think that it let me go into it more calmly and mindfully. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And they call these things, you know, meditation, breathing techniques, whatever it is, practices for a reason, right? It's so that we practice it so that we can really begin to um, truly own them and really get the benefits from them. We have to do it. Absolutely. So let's try to remind each other. Yes, just the word breathe, right? Breathe. It seems like a silly thing to have to remind yourself to do, but to do it mindfully is different than just doing it. I have a huge metal sign above my door in my office that says breathe. Nice. Love it. We'll look up more often maybe. And I would have never made it through college if I hadn't been in a very stringent practice. You know, I meditated twice a day, every day. And there's no way I would have made it through college with all the stress if I hadn't had that tool. And again, you know, why don't I do it now? Well, start if you want, if it works. Yeah. Good reminder. Yep. We will be linking to skyschools.org. If anybody wants to learn more about what Ambrose does, and they are now offering two free programs. One is called Breathe With Me, and one is Conversations for Educators. So you can go there yourself, skyschools.org, or see the link with this program and check it out. Nice. And thank you, Ambrose, especially during these times. It's just great to have something that's with us all the time that we can, you know, sort of rest into. Nice. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on Depression's Dark Road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.